Good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. Uh, my name's Alistair. I am for one more week the pastoral assistant, uh, the voluntary pastoral assistant here at Kingdom Vineyard. Um, I feel like I should like, do a kind of haircut update like a couple of the other sermons. Um, I'm hating this. It was meant to be cut before before lockdown. It didn't happen. Went into lockdown and now it's just, there's too much of it. It's all over the place. And now that it's hotter, I, it's horrible. I can't handle it. Um, but beginning of August, beginning of August is when I've got my hair cut booked. So I'm, I cannot wait for that. I've literally been dreaming for, about it. Um, I'm so excited <laughs> for that. Um, I'm sure many of you are. Maybe you've had a haircut. Congra- congratulations if that's the case. <laughs> but speaking of things I'm excited about, uh, today I'm continuing our series in uh, our Rest and Reset series this summer, um, looking at Psalm 42 this week. So uh, I'm going to be picking up from Jim's sermon a couple of weeks ago, where uh, he invited us to sit with God in the midst of our circumstances and taste and see his goodness. And also from Zach's sermon last week, where he encouraged us to uh, rest with God before we walk. If you want to rewatch those talks, then you've got a couple of options. Uh, they're all on our website, at our, on, on our podcast tab, or you can visit our YouTube channel. All the joys of lockdown. Uh, but this week, I want to ask the question, are we longing for God's presence? Are we longing for God's presence? But before I do, let's read Psalm 42 together. Psalm 42. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Day and night, I have only tears for food. While my enemies continually taunt me, saying, where is this God of yours? My heart is breaking. As I remember how it used to be, I walked among the crowds of worshippers, leading a great procession to the house of God. Singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again my saviour and my God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you. Even from distant Mount Hermon, the source of the Jordan, from the land of Mount Mazar, I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. And through each night I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. Oh God, my rock, I cry. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Their taunts break my bones. They scoff, where is this God of yours? Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my saviour and my God. Thanks, Katie. This week's psalm has a really interesting structure, which sort of resembles how modern songs work. 
So we'll break the psalm down into its sections, work our way through it, and then I'll give my reflections on how this psalm has been challenging me recently. But to start, here's some song structure theory from a humble worship intern. Most Western modern songs will have a verse, chorus and bridge sort of structure. Let's take as an example a song we often sing together, uh, like the song Holy Spirit by uh, Brian and Katie Torwald. We'll usually start the song with the first verse. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. No thing can compare your our living hope, your presence, Lord. You'll be pleased to know that I'm not singing these. <laughs> then you might go to the chorus, which usually captures the heart of the message of the song. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. Then you'd probably go to verse two, which perhaps develops the idea from uh, verse one, before you're drawn back to the main theme in the chorus. Then you go into the bridge, which is often the climax of the song. Here it's, let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. It's very difficult to read songs rather than sing them. <laughs> but nonetheless, hopefully that sort of structure is familiar to you. One of the reasons that I really like this song is that we can kind of put it into a, a sort of verse, chorus and bridge structure, which makes it easier for me. Now, at this point, I'm going to have to change the words that I've been using to avoid confusion. So far, I've spoken about verses in a song, but in the Bible, we use the word verse to describe a small sentence or passage. So I'll continue to use chapter and verse for the Bible, for referencing the Bible, but we'll use the word stanza to refer to the verse of the song. So that's chapter and verse for the Bible, and stanza, chorus, and bridge of a song. Here stanza, think verse of a song. So in this psalm, verses one to four make up the first stanza. Then in verse five, we hear the chorus for the first time. Verses six to seven are the first part of the second stanza, and verses nine to 10 continue the second stanza. We then return to, uh, to the chorus in verse 11, and we actually find the bridge of this song in verse eight, sandwiched right between the two halves of the second stanza. More on that later. Let's start at the start with stanza one. With us being in lockdown and not being able to meet together in person, I feel like I can really relate to some of the words in this stanza. Verse four says, my heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshippers leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. I long to hear that sound of great celebration again. But in this stanza, the writer is longing for more than a meeting of a church. 
Verse 1 says, As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? You might be asking, well, why doesn't this guy just pray to God? Isn't that standing before God, being in his presence? Well, yes and no. This is another instance where there's a distinction between God's everywhere presence, his omnipresence, and his manifest presence. Morag actually spoke a little about about this in her sermon from a few weeks ago. But the psalmist, he's longing for God's manifest presence. For him, in his time, God's manifest presence was found in the temple in Jerusalem. You see, God's intention was always to live amongst us. In the creation story, we read how humans and God were fully in each other's presence. And it was good. But when we turned away from God, introducing sin into the world, that could no longer be the case. But God didn't abandon us. He pursued us. And the story of the Bible is, in many ways, the story of God working to return the world and our relationship to the way that it once was. He longs for us to be with him. In the Old Testament, God chose the nation of Israel to bless the world. And part of that deal was that he promised to live among them. So God instructed Moses to build a tent, the tabernacle, where God's holy and manifest presence would live on earth. When they came out of the desert into the promised land, the Israelites decided to build a temple, a permanent building rather than a tent, in their new capital. Now God could live in the heart of their nation forever. But over the course of generations, they continually turned away from God. And that led them to ruin. Larger empires came and conquered their land and they were scattered and exiled from their homes. But worst of all, the temple was destroyed. The very place where God lived on earth was razed, ransacked and ridiculed. This is the context of our passage this morning. Verse 6 describes how the psalmist is writing from distant Mount Hermon, which is a long way from Jerusalem. He's been exiled, forced to leave his home, and the place where he could go to meet with God is destroyed. He longs to be back there. He longs to worship with his friends and family. And he longs to be in God's presence. So when he asks, when can I go and stand before God? He really doesn't know the answer. His memories of past times when they used to worship at the temple must be ones of great joy and, in his present circumstance, of great pain. But as the stanza leads into the chorus, so his lamenting and remembering turns to hope. In verse 5, it says, Why am I discouraged? 
Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my saviour and my God. God's earthly house is destroyed, his chosen nation scattered. And yet the psalmist chooses to put his hope in God because he knows the stories of God's faithfulness. He knows the scriptures and he knows the Lord. God has not been defeated. He knows the Lord is faithful and mighty to save, no matter the timing. If you continue to read the psalm, you'll see that stanza two dives right back into this theme of lament. Now, I won't dwell on this too much today because a lot has already been said on lament throughout this series. But I'd like to comment on one thing. In this second stanza, the writer doesn't hold anything back when crying out to God. Verse nine says, O God, my rock, I cry, why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? I think we too should feel like we're able to cry out to God, not holding anything back. We can be honest with him. He can take it. And he knows it already. That doesn't then give us permission to just be rude to him, though he has grace enough for that too. But we should be real with him and not feel like we have to hide anything from him. Then, in the middle of this stanza of grief and confusion, there's this middle section or bridge in verse 8. Now, some of the earliest versions of this psalm include the text, um, include the next psalm, Psalm 43, as the second part of this psalm. So, if you include Psalm 43, which has the third stanza and another repeated chorus, then this bridge section comes right in the middle of the overall psalm. Now, for us, we're used to the climax coming at the end. The big, bad the big bad boss fight is always at the end of the video game. But apparently, throughout the Bible, and with many of the Psalms, the way they wrote or articulated their arguments was with the climax, or point, in the middle. With that in mind, it makes sense that this bridge section of this song comes right in the middle to reveal what it's all about. Verse 8 says, But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me, and through each night I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. What I find really interesting about this is that this is the only time in the psalm that the writer uses the personal name of God. It's translated in our Bibles as the Lord, usually in all caps which is actually the personal name of God, Yahweh. This captures the true essence of the writer's relationship with God. It's personal. They're on a first name basis. God hasn't abandoned him. In fact, God is sustaining him 
daily revealing his love to him. It's a close friendship. I think this emphasizes what's been said throughout this series. God isn't distant. When things are tough, he hasn't abandoned you. He's right there with you. Then, moving into the final chorus, the writer isn't resigned to his suffering being all that there is left. He decides to put his hope in the Lord and then turns to worship him again. Despite his circumstances and still being in the middle of the storm, despite the ridicule and despite the loss, the psalmist daily turns to sing God's praises. I think the psalmist continually turns to praise because he knows that when we worship, we lift our eyes above to look above the uncertainty around us and up to see the constancy of God. To see again, to remind ourselves that he is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is mighty to save. He is trustworthy. And he loves us more than we could ever know. That's how the psalmist kept on going and even kept on singing. He remembered who God was, who God is. And I think also in this, it's in that space of worship where we quieten the noise of day-to-day life and instead focus on God. It's in that place that we'll often experience his presence and hear his voice the most. So again, God hasn't abandoned the psalmist. God is sustaining him, daily revealing his love to him. And so the psalmist continually turns to worship. So to bring this to a close, I wanted to share how this psalm has been challenging me. But I would start by saying that, yes, the psalmist wants to see an end to his suffering. And I really don't want to minimise that. He'd be mad not to. And in Psalm 43, he goes on to ask God to intervene. But the driving point in the bridge is that the psalmist takes great hope and encouragement from experiencing God's love. If that wasn't clear enough, then the psalm begins with, As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? He longs for God. He longs to be in his presence. Other translations say, as the deer pants for streams of water. Have you ever been that thirsty? I remember being in the bottom of the Grand Canyon with my friend called Tim. It was over, it was well over 40 degrees and we just hadn't brought enough water, which is a bit silly of us. Your mouth and throat go dry. Your head is throbbing. And all you can think about is cool, clear water. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O oh God. 
Do we long for God? Do we long for more of his presence in our lives? I don't mean to try to whip up some sort of emotional hysteria here when I ask that. It's just that, like the psalmist, we're all mourning something. Whether it's the loss of what was or what could have been if not for this lockdown. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe it's a broken relationship or a decision you regret making. At the very least, we all mourn and lament that this is a broken and fallen world that is in desperate need of redemption. What do we do in this this lamenting? Let's put our hope in God. That doesn't mean not coming to terms with the pain or not wrestling with the hurt. But instead of dulling the pain, instead of hiding it, burying it or denying it, let's turn to hope. We often talk about how God's kingdom is here, but not yet fully here. God has introduced his presence into this world powerfully, but there's still hurt. There's still pain lost throughout the world. But God has promised that one day all that will cease. That all will be renewed to how it was meant to be. As I said with the first stanza of the song, God longs to be with us. And one day we will fully be with him. Like it was intended in the beginning. And with what Jesus has done, he has already set that in motion. Jesus who was fully God, came and lived amongst us as a human. Jesus was God with us. New temple, a new tabernacle. He died for us, taking upon himself the consequences of our sin and rose from the dead, restoring our relationship with God. And he didn't stop there. At Pentecost, his spirit was poured out on the church and now God's presence lives in us. With Jesus' ministry and with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, God's kingdom has come to earth. Not yet fully, but it is here. So we can begin to see the promise of a restored relationship with God and a restored world here and now. So then, Like the psalmist, we too can hope in God. We have hope for today that we can see more of God's justice, peace, healing and presence in our lives and in those around us. And we have hope for the future that God's kingdom will one day be fully here and all justice and all pain will cease. But until then, do you long for it? Do you long to see more of God in your life? Do you long to experience his presence, to be with him? Do you long to get a taste of that future promise? Do you long to see his justice done, to see people meet him 
encounter his love. This psalm, to me, was and in this season has again been a wake-up call. Do I long for the presence of God in everything I do? Or do I just sing about it on a Sunday morning? Where is my heart at? Do I long for God's presence? And that's my question to you this morning. If this is a time to rest and reset, then we should really think about where our heart is at. Do you long for God's presence in your life, in your town or your city, in your friends' and family's lives? If that answer for you is yes, then bless you and more, Lord. But if you're not sure, or maybe you know it's a no, then let this morning be the beginning. I'd encourage you to sit with him, spend time with him, and ask him to help you to long for his presence more. Ask God to give you a thirst for his presence, like a deer panting for water. And like the, star, and like the psalmist, spend some time in worship, Maybe play something or stick some worship music on or read through a psalm or something. God loves you and designed you to be refreshed and refueled by his good and loving presence. And like a parent who wants what's best for his beloved child, he longs for you to be with him. Do you long to be with him? To finish, uh, I'd like to pray the words of the song I referenced earlier. So, do whatever's comfortable for you, um, but I'd encourage you just to be still. Maybe pray these words in your heart. Let's pray together. Lord God, there's nothing worth more that will ever come close. I think and compare. You are our living hope. For I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves. And my heart becomes free and my shame is undone in your presence, Lord. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for to be overcome by your presence, Lord. So let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. <laughs>